Hebrews chapter 13 and verse number 8, give honor to this amazing church who is like a second family to me. I do want to take a moment and give honor to Brother Jerry and Sister Amber. They're from, or Sister Amber's from my home church, and she married Brother Jerry, and I believe they're going to church here now. You ought to let them know this is the best place you can come. Amen. Don't tell Pastor Houston I said that. I meant like after our church. But they live on this side of the state, so be a little too far to drive, but I'm so glad to see her. Her mom is our church secretary and has been for 42 years. Sister Cheryl's a great lady. So I give honor to my wife and Oliver as well, who's a worship and is happy as a little kid. He loves church. He loves to worship. I love you, buddy. I love my wife. So thankful for my family. I did celebrate a birthday this past Thursday. I turned 31, but I do give honor to pastor who's turning 40 tomorrow. You look great. I, I mean that. No flattery. I hope I look as good as you when I'm 40. It's unlikely, but we'll go for it. Hebrews chapter 13. I love Pastor Josh. I told him in the first service, he's not only one of my closest friends, but one of, I believe, the most important friend I got. He's a man of integrity, of honor, discipline, and he is leading this church in a marvelous way, along with Sister Tiffany and their family. Amen. Sister Spikes, I honor you. I love you so much. This church honors you. Amen. Give honor to Brother Spikes and his memory. Amen. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse number 8. I do feel as God has spoken to me, and I want to do my very best to help you. I'm probably not going to be someone that blows your mind, uh, but I'm going to give it everything i got, and I do believe God has given me a word that will help you, something you can take home and apply. Amen. It's so good to be here to see such a full building. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Hebrews chapter 13, verse number 8 says, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. Turn to somebody and say, he never changes. Yesterday is the past. Today is the present. Forever is the future. And in a world that seems like things are changing by the second, we have this confidence that the God we serve never changes. Which means who he was is who he is. And who he is is who he'll always be. If God has been faithful, then God is faithful. And God will be faithful. If he's ever provided for you, then he is providing for you. And he'll always provide for you. He never changes. He's a solid rock that you can stand on. That when everything is shifting around you, He never changes. If you were to study the etymology of the word tense, you'll find that in the Latin origin, tense and tension came from the same Latin word meaning to stretch. Now, we understand that tension is necessary in some things. There are some belts on your car. They don't have tension and they don't work properly. So when tension is needed, Tension is welcome. But when tension is present, 
and it's not needed, it's overwhelming. And I know that there's an enemy of our soul who would love nothing more than to create tension in our lives. And I believe he does so through the avenue of the tenses in which our life is divided into the past, the present, and the future. So for the next few moments, I want to preach very simply about the tension and the tenses. Before you see it, if you could lift your hands one more time and pray a very simple prayer. God, speak to me. Let me hear what you're speaking. And let me respond to what I hear. And I want you to seal it by saying, in Jesus' name. Clap your hands before you're seated. As you're seated, turn to somebody next to you and say, you look wonderful today. You're sitting by your spouse, that was your chance. In case you had an argument on the way. I know how it is. You, are, you may argue on the way to church. You walk in too blessed to be stressed. How's everybody doing? That's why me and Sister Summer ride to church separately. Praise God. We just go ahead and alleviate that issue before it ever arises. In his most recent book, author Mark Batterson shares a story of William Osler and his journey to becoming the father of modern medicine. In 1871, Mr. Osler was only a 21-year-old medical student And he read one sentence that he said forever changed the trajectory of his life. At the time of being a 21-year-old medical student, he had the pressure of final exams and the prospect of starting a medical practice that led him to a near nervous breakdown. Though Mr. Osler would go on to become one of the most famous medical doctors of his generation, he organized the Johns Hopkins School of Medicine and established the first residency program for specialty training, all while writing the predominant medical textbook of his era. But in the moment, he said, as a 21-year-old, I thought I wouldn't make it another day. But he said, my life was forever changed when I read 22 words that were written by Scottish historian Thomas Carlyle. The sentence that changed Mr. Osler's life was this, and I quote, Our grand business undoubtedly is not to see what lies dimly at a distance but to do what lies clearly at hand. Our grand business, I say again, undoubtedly is not to see what lies dimly at a distance, but to do, rather, what lies clearly at hand. When Mr. Osler testifies of his success in medicine and life, he always traces back to those 22 words. It was the revelation of this sentence that caused Mr. Osler to live in what he would call Day-tight compartments. He said, I learned to live one day at a time. Because he says, the load of tomorrow coupled with the load of yesterday is too strong of a load to carry today. Here's what I know. So often people are paralyzed by things they cannot change. The past. And they are crippled by things they cannot control. The future. And if we're not careful, it will cause us to miss the miracle of the moment, which is the present. Though life is categorized and divided into three tenses, the past, the present, and the future, we were not meant to carry the load of all three tenses. When we attempt to do this, we create tension in our lives that doesn't have to be there. We begin to feel overwhelmed. We wrestle with regret and anxiety. Stress begins to mount and sleep begins to disappear. And we, because the way God designed us is we were designed primarily to focus on one of the tenses of life. 
We cannot change the past. We cannot control the future. But there is one tense that God says, I'm going to let you decide what you make of it. And that is the present. We must let go of dead yesterdays. And we must let go of unborn tomorrows. And we must focus upon this day. Because you see, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Yesterday is history. Tomorrow is a mystery. But today is the gift that God has given to us. And I believe it is a subtle trap of the enemy to get you somehow to dwell in the wrong tense. The most obvious tense the enemy uses to disrupt the life of a believer is no doubt the past. If you have ever tried to step out by faith and do what God has called you to do, you understand that the moment you begin to take the step of faith, somehow life or the enemy reminds you of the mistakes of your yesterday. We attempt to move on, but we run into a certain person or something happens that causes those emotions that you suppress as opposed to getting rid of to surface again. And he drags us to places, the enemy does, that we were never meant to dwell. And so when we succumb to the tactic of the enemy to live in our yesterday, we are met with regret, and we are met with shame, and we are met with guilt, and we are met with condemnations because these are emotions that surface when we are living in the wrong tense. Because hear me today, you were not meant to live in the past. The only appropriate response to the past is repentance and in 2021 I do believe sometimes we have the wrong perspective of what repentance is but I believe if we could get a glimpse to how truly powerful repentance really is I believe it would revolutionize our walk with God You must understand, when you bow before God and you repent of something, He wipes it away completely. But I believe the reason sometimes we struggle with this is because we sometimes make repentance a synonym with an apology. And so when someone apologizes to us, we are taught to forgive and forget. And so we do our best to forgive them. And we do our best to move on. But somewhere in our mind, that thought of what they did gets trapped. And we're not able to truly forget because we don't have the power to go in our minds and delete. So as a human who has a finite mind, we can't forget stuff. So sometimes it can be hard to grasp the idea that there's a God who the Bible says knows the end from the beginning, who knows all things, that he would forget your sins. But here's what the prophet Isaiah said, that God would remember your sins no more. Here's why. I've learned God's mercy is greater than God's memory. And when he washes something in the blood and you repent of something, even God doesn't remember it. So here's my question to you. Why would we choose to remember what God has chosen to forget? Don't allow the enemy to use your past to hang you up any longer. When God forgives you, that's it. 
There is no contingency. He doesn't hold it in the back of his mind for the next time you slip up to rub it in your face. No, no. When God forgives you, that is it. That's why Isaiah said, but now thus saith the Lord that has created thee, O Jacob. He that formed you, O Israel, fear not. He said, I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. Why? Because you are mine. He says in verse 18, remember not the former things, neither consider the things of old. Behold, now I will do a new thing does anybody still believe God can do a new thing with broken people that's the power of repentance though you're broken you're new though you're scarred you're new you're not perfect you're just new When you read about the potter in Jeremiah chapter 18 that everyone likes to talk about, the Bible said that the clay, it was marred or it was scarred. But here's what it says, in the hands of the potter. And a lot of people, when they quote that verse, they'll misquote and they'll say, he made another vessel. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says he made it another vessel. God doesn't want to replace you. God wants to restore you. He wants to take the same life. And put it back together and make you new. But you have to realize your past is behind you and you have the freedom to leave it. Paul said, know you not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves of mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Somewhere, somehow, we all fall into one of those categories. But here's the hope. But such were some of you. But you've been washed. But you've been sanctified. But you've been justified. How? By the name of the Lord. And by the Spirit of our God. Here's the reality. We were all in that category. But when you get washed, you get put in a new category. You're a child of God. And you don't have to be bound by your mistakes. Oh, I wish somebody would let the enemy know you've held me captive long enough. I've been bound long enough. Today is my day. Liberty is mine. We all have a past, but none of us were called to live there. And while you can't change the past, you can't change how it affects you. By making the decision, you're going to leave it where it belongs, behind you. It's interesting when you study the life of the Apostle Paul who would go on to write two-thirds of the New Testament. Before his conversion, he was known by the name of Saul. Acts chapter 7, verse number 58 is where we are first introduced to this man named Saul. From Acts chapter 7, verse 58, all the way to Acts chapter 13, he is known as Saul. The Bible says in Acts chapter 8 that he was persecuting the church. He was a very hateful man. But in Acts chapter 9, he had an encounter with God, and it forever changed his life. But he's still called Saul. Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 11, Acts chapter 12, he's still called Saul. Until you get to verse number 9 of Acts 13, the Bible says this. Then Saul, who is also called Paul, filled with the Holy Ghost. I still believe when somebody receives the Spirit of God, it can change their life. 
The reason I can say that with no hesitation is because it changed my life. I was a first generation, 19 years old. But when I got the Holy Ghost, the chains started breaking and I was a new creature. But watch this. Acts chapter 7 all the way to Acts chapter 13. You see the word Saul, Saul, Saul. But after that verse I just read to you, he is never called Saul again. In fact, the only time you will see the word Saul appear in the New Testament is two more times in Acts 22 and 24 when Paul is telling his testimony and he refers to his old life. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. If you're going to talk about your past, let it be a testimony. Don't let your past prison you, but let it be an exhibit. Look what the Lord has done. Look what the Lord has done. I used to be on drugs, but I'm not anymore. I used to be an alcoholic, but I'm not anymore. My marriage was destroyed, but God put it back to... The enemy doesn't have a license to your past, so don't give it to him. It's your testimony. It's your testimony. Look what the Lord has done. Do I have anybody with a testimony today? I wish you would stand to your feet right now and just testify to me. God brought me out. God did it. God did it. God did it. I know they say, you'd be nothing without God. Where I got good news, we're not without God because of God. We're new creatures because if God were here today. Somebody shout, us my testimony. I refuse to give the enemy license to my story. He's not the author of my life. The Bible says Jesus is the author and finisher of my story. Somebody say, not today, devil. Not today. Be seated for just a moment. I refuse to let the enemy get glory for my story. My story belongs to a Savior who stepped in when my life should have been over. When I shouldn't be here, I should be dead. But God, he stepped in and he gave me a story. And I've got a burden in my spirit today to let somebody know you need to march out of your past and let the enemy know the only time I'll go back is to share my story for the glory of God. To let somebody know if he can do it for me, then he can do it for you. If he can bring me out, he can bring you out. It's time to eliminate the tension, the tenses, by refusing to allow the enemy to tempt us to live in our past. This is what Paul said. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. In other words, I'm not perfect. I don't have it all figured out. But Paul said, there's one thing I have figured out. Here's the key. This one thing I do. I don't know a lot of things, but I know this one thing. I forget those things which are behind. Why? Because that in front of me is greater than that which is behind me. I know I used to be this and I used to be that, but you ought to see what I'm about to be. 
I am anointed. I'm a child of God. God's going to use me. I'm going to reach this community. I'm going to let somebody know there's hope in Jesus Christ. And here's the ironic thing. The enemy loves to use our past to try to control us. But what if we can flip the script and say you used to be in heaven, but now you're in hell. And I used to be home my way there, but I'm not anymore. So I know sins in my past, but heaven's in my future, but not just my future. My destiny is today. I've been created by Jesus Christ. I have been appointed and anointed. God has entrusted me with his spirit, and I am going to make a difference in this world. We must understand that God has given us a way out of our past so refuse to go back there. And while I know we could probably keep going and all shout about the fact that God has delivered us from our past, here's the harsh reality. That's not the only tense the enemy use, uses to disrupt our life. Because here's, here's what I know. When we live in the past, we wrestle with regret. But when we live in the future, we wrestle with worry. Two tenses bring two different feelings, but both are wrong for us to dwell in. And while it's not okay to live in the past, it's also not okay to allow the enemy to drag your mind to the future. The answer for the future is repentance, or the past is repentance. The answer for the future is trust. We must learn to trust God with our future. We can plan for the future. And we can prepare for the future, but we cannot live there. And the reason we feel overwhelmed when we try to go to the future in our minds or our imagination is because that is not where God has created us to dwell. Deuteronomy says, Thy shoes shall be as iron as brass, and as thy days, so shall thy strength be. I will never forget hearing a message on this particular verse a couple of years ago, and it revolutionized my life. I sent it to Brother Carbo. I said, you have to listen to this. As thy days, so shall thy strength be. you you got to get this. God promises strength for each day. Nothing more and nothing less. Never less than what is needed, but never more than what is necessary. But he will give you the strength for each day. Not for the past, not for the future, but for the presence. Why? Because as thy days, so shall thy strength be. Jesus said it like this in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 6, verse 34. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take the thought for the things of itself sufficient. Of the day is the evil thereof. Jesus said, don't even worry about tomorrow because you got enough to worry about with today. He says, if you'll take care of today, I'll take care of tomorrow. The word thought there in the Greek means anxiety, to be anxious or to worry. One, one definition literally means to be pulled apart. And that's what we feel when we try to think about the future. We try to think about, well, how is it going to happen? How is it going to work out? How are we going to raise kids in this crazy world? How how's, how's God going to get us through this situation? Pastor, how are we going to make it beyond this situation? And we, we, we begin to tro- go and try to figure it out. We feel like we're being pulled apart. Why? Because we were never meant to figure the future out. We have to trust God that he's going to to take care of it. You know why? Because it's Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's took care of this church for all these years and is not ready to quit right now. He said, take no thought. No thought for tomorrow. For tomorrow 
shall take thought for the things of itself. He, he went on to say this. Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit to your stature? In other words, how can any of you worry about the future and add one single hour to your life? Paul said it like this. Be careful for nothing. What he's saying is don't be anxious about anything, but by everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. It is our nature and it is our responsibility to bring our requests to God. But Paul said, this is how I want you to deliver your requests, with supplication and with thanksgiving. You know what that's telling God? I don't know how this is going to work out, but I thank you that you're God and I'm not and I just know you're going to work it out. Some of you have got promises that are unfulfilled. Some of you about your family and you're fretting and worried. How? How's it going to work out? What do I need to do? Do I need to play my cards right? What, I, what you need to do is just back up and say, God, you know what? I give you control. You're in control of the future. It's my responsibility in the present. So I'll do my job and let you do yours. Here's what happens when you bring your request accompanied by thanksgiving. Verse, the next verse says, and the peace of God which passeth all understanding. In other words, God, I don't understand how I can have peace, but I still got it. When I look at my circumstances, peace doesn't seem to be what I should be feeling. But somehow, as a child of God, in the middle of the turmoil, I have peace. You know why I have peace? Because somewhere, I said, God, you redeemed my past. I'm not going there. God, I'm going to trust you with my future. And you know what, God? I'm just going to worry about today. And when you do that, you'll feel the peace of God. You know what the peace of God is? It's him letting you know everything's going to be okay. I will take care of you. I will provide for you. I will see fit that you make it through this. It's peace. And it comes from letting go of control. I know how it feels as humans. We want to be in control. God, I know you're going to do it, but can you tell me how you're going to do it? I want to step by step. One, two, three, A, B, C. Send me an email, God. How's my family coming back? Don't be surprising me. Tell me. But a life of faith means you have to take a step out of the comfort zone and you have to be vulnerable and you have to trust God. One song said, even when I can't trace him, I trust him because I know he's working for me. Peace is possible when surrender is present. When you surrender, God, I don't have to know how. I just believe that you're going to take care of it. That's when his peace will come. Worrying about tomorrow doesn't help tomorrow or today. We are to leave tomorrow with God as we trust him with today. No one has ever sank under the burden of today. It is when tomorrow's burden is added to the today's burden that we feel the weight is more than we can bear. It is time for us to focus on our most important tense, and that is the present. We cannot change the past. We'll never be able to control the future. But we can control the present. Nothing can be done yesterday. And nothing can be done tomorrow. But today, the opportunities, they are endless. That's why Paul said, We then as workers together with him beseech you also that you receive not. <laughs> 
the grace of God in vain. For he said, I have heard thee in an accepted time. And in the day of salvation, I have secured thee. Behold, now, everybody shout now. Now is the accepted time. And behold, now is the day of salvation. I believe the reason Paul wrote it like this is no matter when you read it, it's always applicable. When's the time to pray? Now. When's the time to live for God? Now. When's the time to get right? Now. Now. Don't delay what you can do today. I believe the most important day of your life is the one you're living in right now. I thank God for prayers. The Bible says that go up as memorials. We build them. But a memorial prayer started as a present day prayer. So what are you going to start today that can affect your future and your legacy? Today. Somebody shout today. Today is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. We cannot live on yesterday's experiences. And we cannot wait for the experiences of the future today is what matters. We must worship today. We must pray today. We must believe today. The most important time in your walk with God is today. What are you doing right now? The psalmist said in Psalm 46, God is the refuge and a strength. And this, this is also what he is. He's a very present help in a time of trouble. Somebody shout present. That's right now. When God told Moses, I want you to go and let my people know they're leaving Egypt. Moses said, well, God, I'm not really qualified. He said, this is why you're qualified. He said, because I'm going to be with you. And Moses said, well, who do you want to say has sent me? He says, I want you to tell them the I am that I am has sent you. Not the I was that I was or I will be that I will be. No, Moses, I want you to know I'm with you in the present We cannot settle to one day live for God, to one day get right, to one day let the bitterness go, to one day forgive that person. No, now is the time. I feel such an urgency in my spirit. I wish that we would treat this service like it may be the last. Survey once asked a group of people, what are you living for? 94% of the responders said, we're enduring today, waiting on tomorrow. May that not be the testimony of the church. I understand that one day heaven is going to be a reality and we should always live with that on our mind. But here is what we must know. What, where we spend eternity is directly correlated to how we spend today. Benjamin Franklin said one today is worth two tomorrows because time is such a unique commodity. You cannot save it, retrieve it, relive it, stretch it, borrow it, loan it, stop it, or store it. You have to use it or you lose it. And I've just made up my mind. I'm not losing another service. I'm going to give God everything I have. I'm going to pray. I'm going to worship. I'm going to give. I'm going to believe that today is my day. going to believe that today is my day because this tense is the most important in my life. That's why Paul said we have to redeem 
the time because the days they're evil the present is the most precious opportunity we have today may we not waste it because we're dwelling on a past experience or may we not waste it because we're waiting on something in the future do not be paralyzed by procrastination, but act now. Today is your day. I just believe today is the day that you can be delivered. I believe today is the day that God can heal you. I believe today is the day God can restore your family. I believe somebody doesn't even have to be here, but today is the day you can pray for them, and God will reach down to where they're at and bring them back. I believe today is the day you can get your joy back. I believe today is the day you can get your hope back. I believe today, as Pastor said, is a divine appointment. Today. Today. Pastor made mention of Bartimaeus who's sitting on the side of the road. And he just hears that Jesus is walking by. And the Bible says that he cries out. He had a condition. He was begging. And he was blind. And Jesus walks by. And he starts crying out. And they try, they try to tell him to be quiet. But he had an understanding. This is my moment. This is my moment. My past has been marred by my condition. I'm broken. I'm blind. And, and, and if I delay and hope that somehow he'll make the block and come back tomorrow, I may miss it. So Bartimaeus, I understand the most important moment I have with Jesus is the one I have right now. And so he cried out, and the Bible said Jesus stopped and turned to him and said, come to me. And this is what Jesus asked him, what would you like me to do for you? Jesus, not to be a smart aleck or anything, but since you know everything, how do you don't know I'm not, I'm blind? Here's why I think Jesus asked, because he had two conditions. One, he was a beggar. The other, he was blind. So Jesus said, I can deal with the surface condition, give you a little money, relieve you for a couple of days, or I can go deep, and I can deal with something that's been plaguing you your whole life. Because anybody can walk by and drop, drop a couple coins in the bucket. But there's only one that can walk by and touch your eyes and say, receive your sight and you be healed. So Bartimaeus said, I want that kind of miracle. I want you to heal. I feel Jesus is in this room today saying, what do you want? What do you need me to do? But somebody's got to get real with God and say, I'm not playing games. I need a healing. I need deliverance. I need help. Come on, this is your moment. Stand to your feet. I told you earlier, the answer for the past is repentance. The answer for the future is trust. But the answer for the present is action. What you get out of today's service is more depending on you than it is God. Because he's ready. You don't, there's no way you can tell me that we have to convince God that he needs to fill somebody with his spirit. That we got to beg God, please deliver. 
No, God's just waiting on somebody to say, enough is enough. I'm not waiting till next Sunday. I'm not waiting till Wednesday. I'm not waiting till Thursday. Today, I need a miracle. Today. Today. Jesus said, when you pray, pray after this manner, give us daily bread. Daily bread. In the Old Testament, when he provided manna, it lasted 24 hours because he was illustrating the principle to his people. Don't drag yesterday and today and don't try to hoard the manna because you're scared I won't give you more tomorrow. How you treat today's manna is a direct reflection of how you feel about the provider. The reason they can eat all the manna is because they knew when I wake up in the morning, there's more from where that came from. God's not running low on miracles. He's not a resource. He's the source. He's not running out. If you need joy, the joy tank isn't low. If you need restoration, the restoration tank isn't on E. He's ready. He's just waiting on someone to say, today's my day. This is the most important day of my life. I'm tired of having tension in the tent, so this is what I'm going to do. Come here, Brother Shane. Come here, Brother. We're Brandon, right? Feels good to get somebody's name right. 31, the forgetter starts working. This is what we have to do. Shane is the past. Brandon is the future. And they're both pulling at me. The past is trying to get me to come here. You know what you did. But how's it going to work out? How's God going to take care of your family? And they're pulling. And they're pulling. You know what happened? We miss what God's trying to get us to focus on. So this is what we have to do. When the past pulls, oh no, I've been redeemed. When the future pulls, oh no, I trust God. I'm going to worry about today. Today. You know what I'm going to do today? I'm going to worship today. I'm going to pray today. I'm going to believe. Musicians, get ready. This is my last verse. I told Pastor this in the first service because this place is so special to me. Anytime I come, I always pray, God, I don't just want to go with a sermon. Give me a word. It's one of my closest friends. This is a second family. Give me something to help them. God led me to this verse early this morning. Joshua 3, chapter 5. This is what it says, sanctify yourselves for the morrow. The Lord will do wonders among you. I want this church to hear me. You've been in a season. Me and Pastor and Sister Tiffany were on the phone the other day on speakerphone. We kind of discussed this. You've been in a season of great growth. It's amazing to see what God's doing. Then all of a sudden, you feel like you hit a wall. But you didn't. But what I feel God is wanting to do right now is to strengthen this local body. To prepare you. Because if you think this season of harvest has been great, it will pale in comparison to the souls. You don't know where they come from. God's just sending them. You know why? Because days like today, you're lifting him up. And he said, if I be lifted up, I'll start drawing. Sanctify yourselves. Prepare yourselves because on the morrow. But what we receive tomorrow is dependent upon what we do today. So you have a leader 
who is as disciplined and faithful as a man I've ever met. I know he's preparing. But here's what I know. I know he's tired. I know he goes through situations. But he's leading. You know how we're preparing. Because Pastor Josh, I don't even know if the 30-foot extension will be big enough. This is a lighthouse for this community. I'm telling you, River Church, you have only seen glimpses of what God wants to do. I say this not for your emotion. But I'm telling you, if you will apply this principle every day, we're preparing. We're preparing. Preparing today, today. Our grand business undoubtedly is not to see what lies dimly at a distance, but to do what lies clearly at hand. Today is your day if you want. We're going down to the river, down to the river, down.